The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. Is how the way you're reacting right now to what's going on around you, is it good? Is the way you're reacting good for you? Is the way you're reacting good for those around you? See, there's a lot going on around us right now in our own communities, in our city, in the cities across our nation. And there's a lot of hurt and a lot of fear and a lot of anger where people feel like they're being taken advantage of. They feel like their rights are being stolen from them. They feel like the government is overreaching and oppressing them. And as a result, the hurt that's in us starts to come out of us in anger and the resentment in us comes out of us and it lashes out of us at those that we feel are hurting us. See, the brokenness around us mirrors the brokenness in us. And certainly our cities have their share of brokenness. Your city has brokenness. My city has brokenness. The cities of our nation are suffering brokenness. The opioid crisis, domestic violence, alcohol abuse, child abuse, all on the rise significantly over the last six months. Why? Because people are spending more time at home, and so they're taking their hurt out on those that are right in their own home. They're hurting those they should love the most, and, and they're, they're using alcohol and drugs to numb the pain that they feel inside. And so the brokenness in one of us becomes brokenness in our city, right? The statistics are on the rise, but it's not just drug abuse and child abuse. It's not just alcohol mistreatment or mistreatment of a spouse. We've got unstable homes where kids are growing up in unsafe environments, causing our foster care system to balloon with more kids needing care. We've got unbelievable staggering numbers regarding sex trafficking, especially the horror of our children being sex trafficked. It's horrific. We have homelessness on the rise, businesses shutting down, jobs being lost. And as a result, we feel pressed and pressured. And when we are pressed and pressured, what comes out of us reveals what's in us. And what's coming out of us is spilling onto our city streets, and we are seeing the anger and the hurt and the hate and the violence spreading and metastasizing like a cancer. Certainly in Jesus' time, he saw this. this. This was the national mindset of an oppressed nation. You, you think Jesus was just talking to a bunch of religious people? No, he was talking to angry people looking for a revolution. And so Jesus, he, he was speaking one of his most well-known sermons. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's recorded by a guy who became a friend and follower of Jesus. His name was Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 5, uh, Matthew captures this entire this part of this sermon. And Jesus quotes one of his nation's favorite lines. He says, oh, you heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. He goes, I know you want revenge. You've been beat down and you want to beat back. 
You've been, you've been fought against and you want to fight back. He goes, you've heard it said that if they take your eye, you can take an eye. If they knock out your tooth, you knock out more of their teeth. And what happens with this mindset is things escalate wildly out of control. And Jesus was speaking to an angry group of people, an angry crowd. Because the angry crowd represented an angry nation. So you're talking about Jesus' time when the Roman Empire now for almost a hundred years had been oppressing and taking advantage of the entire nation of Israel. Where they were abused, women were systematically raped, men were systematically murdered. They were living in systemic poverty experiencing systemic injustice for a hundred years. And the people wanted to revolt against Rome, but they had no power. And so they were just hoping for the day when their Messiah, their rescuer, their king would come and establish his throne and his kingdom and overthrow the Roman Empire. And so when Jesus came along, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, raising the dead. They had found their king, their Messiah, their rescuer. And so tens of thousands of people gathered around Jesus and they were ready to make him their king. Jesus, recognizing their intentions, withdrew from the crowd. He wasn't ready to be king. They weren't ready for him to be king. See, Jesus was not looking to establish a temporary political kingdom. Jesus wanted to establish his kingdom personally in every heart, a kingdom that would last forever. But that would require a different kind of revolution, not a violent overthrow, not a political power. It would require a spiritual transformation. And so Jesus was teaching this crowd, this mob of people, what it would be like for Jesus to be the king of their hearts and their lives, not just their nation and their capital. So Jesus unpacks what it looks like for him to be the king of the heart. And so he teaches and he uses some statements that seem almost contradictory. He goes like this, and Matthew records this moment, and it's found in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is teaching. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me explain. Jesus, you might think that Jesus is just talking about those who are economically deprived. He's not. He's talking about people who recognize that they are spiritually bankrupt, and the only hope and help they have is to cry out for mercy from God. He goes, when you recognize that you are spiritually bankrupt and that God is your only hope, then God becomes your only help, and he responds to you, and he says, blessed are you, right? You receive favor from God. Jesus continues, and he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He's not talking about people who just weep like you're at a funeral. He's saying, blessed, favored by God are those who are humbled and cry out because of their own wrongdoing, because of the wrongdoing of their community, because of the wrongdoing of their nation. He goes, you're not crying out against your nation. You're crying out for your nation. And then he said, blessed are, the, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
So Jesus is explaining each of these. In the rest of his sermon, he's going to go back and he's going to unpack each of these statements. Specifically, this one about blessed are the meek. Favored by God are those who are meek. And so later in his sermon, Jesus circles back to this idea of what it means to be meek. And he, he it reads this way. He goes, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. That you can fight back with revenge and hurt for hurt, hate for hate, violence for violence. And isn't that exactly what we see in our nation? And it tears us apart. But Jesus said, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Jesus is providing a new and radical ethic. He's providing a way to live when he is the king of your life. And the idea of being meek is this. The principle that I want you to take hold of. The idea that I want you to embed in your heart. And I hope that when it gets into your heart, it begins to affect your home and your neighborhood and the city streets and a, a city and then cities. It would be this. Imagine that we begin to show strength under control. Could you imagine what would happen if just you and I showed strength under control. I want you to maybe turn to the person next to you. I want you to type this in the comment section and just say this, show strength under control. Come on, you didn't do it. Now it's your turn. Show strength under control. See, the word meekness sounds like weakness. In fact, I was uh, talking about my sermon to my kids, my family this week, and I was just telling them how passionately I believe this message hits right at the core of what our community, our city, and our nation is going through right now. And I said, man, I just feel like this message speaks right to where we're at in this moment. And I was talking, I told him I'm going to be preaching about meekness. And one of my daughters goes, uh, Daddy, I, I didn't realize Jesus was saying blessed are the meek. I thought he said blessed are the weak. And I said, exactly, that's what everybody thinks. They think that Jesus is saying it's weakness. And as a result, you and I have believed that we had to roll over and play dead, that we've got to let people walk all over us, that you just have to be nice and kind all the time. And you're thinking to yourself, that's not possible. Here's the thing. Meekness is not weakness. It is strength under control. It is gentle restraint. It means I have the power to do something, but I restrain myself with control in gentleness. Impossible, you say? You're probably right. You're right. If you and I exercise meekness, gentle restraint, others may walk all over us. It's impossible. Somebody is gunning for you. You can't just roll over and play dead. You'll get destroyed. I mean, imagine the whole nation just rolls over in meekness. But you're not thinking meekness. You're thinking weakness. And you're saying, if I'm weak, people will prey on me, take advantage of me. And you're probably right. But we're not talking about weakness. We're talking about meekness. And you think, wow, that's hard. Yes, it's hard. It's not just hard. It's impossible. You want to know why it's impossible? Because there are people preying on the meek, looking to take advantage of those who don't fight back. But it's not just that there's trouble around us, it's that there's trouble in us. In fact, the trouble around us reveals the trouble in us. It's that you and I are broken 
and hurting, and we hurt others, right? Because what fills spills. What's in us comes out of us. When you're pressed and pressured, what comes out of you reveals what's already in you. And what's in you and I is something not very good. Because we don't have an economic problem. We don't have a political crisis. We don't have racial tension. We have a deep, personal, spiritual problem. And Jesus wanted to bring his kingdom into our hearts and lives. Our problem is who was the king of our life. I want to be the king of my life. And as a result, I'm going to fight for my kingdom and my rights. But Jesus didn't come just to teach good things. He came meek. God of all power and all authority submits himself under not only Roman power, but he was willing to be put to death. But he, he wasn't murdered. Jesus wasn't martyred. Jesus gave his life because the penalty for our sin, our spiritual bankruptcy, is that we are indebted forever and we have to pay a debt in all of eternity, a judgment. So Jesus came to pay our debt. He gently restrained his divine power to rescue us in order to become our king. And so how did Jesus do that? Jesus died on a cross. He, he showed strength under control and he willingly gave his life to give us life. And so he died in our place. Jesus didn't deserve to die. We deserve to die. Jesus was life and gave his life to give us life. And so when Jesus died, he died in our place. He died for our sin. His life paid the debt for our spiritual bankruptcy. So that when you and I believe in Jesus by faith, we are forgiven of sin. Guilt and shame removed. The anger and the hurt and the hate purged from our hearts where now we invite Jesus to sit as the king of his kingdom in us. And when Jesus takes the throne in our hearts and our attitudes, he takes dominion over our hurt and our hate, our anger, our revenge, where we feel like we have the right to fight back and stand up and get payback. But Jesus not only died, he rose from the dead, and in his life, he gives us life. And so whoever believes in Jesus by faith is not only forgiven, but given a new and forever life. And when you say yes to Jesus, a simple acknowledgement where you place your faith in Jesus Christ changes everything for you forever. You invite Jesus to be the king of your heart. Can I encourage you? Would you take a moment right now and say yes to Jesus? It, Online, you can type in the comment section, yes to Jesus, and our team will follow up with you. If, if you could, you can shoot us a text. Text the name Jesus to 41411, and when you text us, we're going to follow up with you and encourage you as you begin this new journey in relationship with God, where you're inviting Jesus to be the king of your life, and you're asking God's spirit to come into your spirit. Here's the thing. When you ask God's spirit to come into your spirit, he begins to give you the power, the strength to do what would otherwise be impossible, which is not weakness, but meekness, gentle strength, right? Gentle restraint, strength 
under control. Now, let me take apart this passage for you because I'm going to teach you how to live meek because I do believe that in this moment in history, in this chapter in our nation's history, there is no more necessary quality or attribute in your life than meekness. Listen to me. You want to know how you live in meekness? Jesus gives three steps or three practical ways that you can walk out this meekness. The first one we're going to find is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 39. He says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. To be very honest with you, since I was young, I always found this to be a little bit annoying. Don't think I'm being a heretic. I just found it to be annoying because I thought to myself, man, if somebody punches me, I got to let them punch me and take it. This is not about self-defense, but about an insult when your pride is hurt. Most people are right-handed. So Jesus is talking in generic terms. And so if I'm right-handed, how do I hit someone on the right cheek? Right? This is my right cheek. So right hand, right cheek. No, no, no. If I hit this way, I'm going to hit their left cheek. So I'm going to left. No. It's backhanded. In, in an ancient Jewish culture, to backhand someone was to insult them. And Jesus says, when, when someone insults you, make yourself vulnerable for another insult. The point is this. Meekness, gentle restraint, offers vulnerability when insulted. Let me, let me say that again because I want to make sure you don't miss it. Because this is going to be practical in every one of your lives. Meekness offers vulnerability when insulted. Look, some of you have just been insulted. In your own home, you got into an argument. Somebody said something they shouldn't have said. On Facebook, on social media, you exchanged words and somebody got insulted. You've offended and you've been offended. You know what the answer to insult is? When someone backhand, they give you a backhanded compliment or they backhand you, you offer vulnerability when insulted. Look, in Jewish law, you were allowed a, a right to self-defense. So this is not about self-defense, but about offense. When the threat of physical harm has passed, and now you want payback. Now you want revenge. Now it's insult for insult, blow for blow. Someone in the comment section says something hurtful to you, and so you try to think of a more hurtful way to come back at them. Someone at work, someone in school, they say something insulting, and all you're thinking about is how you can come up with a better comeback. And so Jesus' response is that when someone backhands you, you offer them the other cheek also, meaning you make yourself vulnerable to another insult because your vulnerability will disarm them. Your transparency and your candor and your willingness to make your heart open to them will actually disarm arm them and make them regret their insult. So imagine someone throws an insult at you. And instead of fighting back, you say, you know, that hurt. You know why that hurt? Because here's what I'm, here's what I'm going through right now. Or here's what I'm really feeling right now. And suddenly your vulnerability 
exposes your heart, which is filled with Jesus and Jesus' love, and suddenly the vulnerability of your love, which is gentle restraint, disarms their blows of insult, making them regret their attitude and their hurtfulness, embarrassing them with your extravagant level of love. That's what Jesus is talking about. In our nation, we need a little more meekness. By the way, let me, I'm going to say this, and I'm probably going to need to say it again. This sermon is personal, not political. I'm not trying to shape politics. I'm not trying to shape elections. I want to speak to our heart. Jesus was speaking to people who wanted a political revolution. He said, you want a revolution? It starts in your heart when you have Jesus as the personal king of your life. And the, and the way you begin to live out meekness is vulnerability when insulted. Transparency. You know, Paul, the apostle Paul, wrote a letter to the church in Rome. I mean, here's the capital of the Roman Empire, and he's instructing them in a similar teaching. In Romans chapter 12, he says this, do not repay anyone evil for evil, right? Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. That's vulnerability. That's compassion. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. He goes, you want revenge? You want payback? Compliment when they insult you. Be compassionate to their criticisms. And it'll be like burning coals on their head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Another renowned leader of the church, an American icon of social justice, Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way. He goes, that old law, an eye for an eye, leaves everyone blind. Just pause and think about that. If everyone's insult for everyone, insult, everyone's insulted. If it's eye for eye, everyone's blind. And if it's tooth for tooth, we all look like West Virginia. I'm kidding, kidding. Those of you joining us from West Virginia, we love you. He goes like this. The time is always right to do the right thing. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. You get it? Vulnerability when insulted. Jesus continues. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 5, verse 40. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Okay, you have no idea what a tunic or a cloak is, so let me unpack this for you real quick. Um, once someone's suing you, so there's a dispute, and they win the dispute, and they want to take your tunic. That would be uh, the guarantee of their repayment. And so a tunic is kind of like your shirt. It's, it's a work shirt. It's what you wear to work. It's what you wear during your day. He goes, but let them have your cloak as well. The cloak would be like more of a, more of a large, so you're talking about an ancient time, right? 2,000 years ago where they pretty much wore their wardrobe. The cloak was the large coat that they wore over themselves. It doubled as their comforter at night. It was their blanket. It kept them warm. And so in a, a desert climate that was hot during the day and cold at night, the cloak was a, a necessary piece of survival. So Jesus is saying, you're in a dispute and someone is suing you and they're demanding you give them the shirt off your back. Don't just give them the shirt off your back. Give them the blanket off your bed. Give them your cloak. Jesus is offering a response in the middle of all the hurt and the anger and the revenge and the hate that spreads on our streets. He goes, this, meekness offers gentle strength 
in dispute. Gentle strength in dispute. You could fight back. You could look for payback. But gentle strength, strength under control, it requires more strength to hold back than to fight back for payback. In this ancient culture, you could sue someone, and if you won the suit, you had the right to take their tunic. You couldn't take their cloak. And here's what someone would do. They would try to get your cloak because they would be guaranteed that you would pay them whatever you owe them before sundown because if you don't have your cloak, you're going to be cold at night and you're going to make sure you're not freezing to death. But Jesus said, if someone is compelling you to give them your tunic, take off your cloak and say, here, you can have this too. And what he was saying was, offer gentle strength in a dispute. When there's a disagreement and we're not sure who's winning, you're not sure who's right and wrong. Demonstrate gentle strength by disarming them when they are trying to get the upper hand by giving them the upper hand. Do you see it? When you give someone the upper hand, they no longer feel like they have the upper hand because you gave it to them. It's kind of like, you didn't win, I let you win. And then suddenly you don't feel like you won anymore. That's what Jesus is saying. He goes, if, if you let him win, you go, okay, here, here's my cloak. I'm, I'm, I'm going to guarantee that I'm going to make this right. It disarms people. Meekness is, a, is gentle restraint by not exercising all the power you could, but by giving more than you have to. So here's what it means. You're in a disagreement. It means you don't have to listen to the other person but you would disarm them and you would give them the upper hand if you listened to them first before you spoke. And we, because you gave them the upper hand, they no longer feel like the upper, they have the upper hand. And so after they listen to you, they feel the need to, after you listen to them, they feel the need to listen to you. Choose to understand rather than to be understood. Choose to give rather than demand someone give to you. And exercise an extraordinary level of generous love that disarms those that you are in a dispute with. Finally, Jesus is teaching on meekness. And in verse 41, he says, And if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, under what circumstance are you being forced to go one mile and you, you should go two? Well, Jesus is talking, again, to his culture, a culture where the average Jewish citizen could be forced by a Roman soldier to carry his pack one milan, about one mile, 1,943 steps. And Jesus said, when you are forced to carry the pack of a Roman soldier one milan, go two milan. The point is this. Meekness offers to serve when others are demanding. Now, you know how you and I respond when others are demanding? Either we do it begrudgingly, because our boss makes us, right? Or like, you don't have a choice. The law makes you do it, and so you do it, but you do it begrudgingly. Or you don't do it, and here's your attitude. Here's my attitude. I'm not doing that. If you had asked me, and you had said, please, I'd have done it willingly. But because you're demanding me to do it, I'm not doing it. Now, right now, you can lean over the person next to you, you can bump them a little bit and be like, sorry, I did that recently. 
you can, you can call out yourself in that area where you have, because someone demanded something of you, you were unwilling to do it or you did it begrudgingly. That's what Jesus is talking about. So he says, when somebody's demanding something of you and you want to do it begrudgingly, mumbling under your breath, or you don't want to do it because they didn't say please, not only do I want you to do it, but I want you to do it with the attitude of serving them, even though they are demanding it of you. Meaning, if they're demanding it, it's an obligation, not a service. But Jesus said, they're not taking it, you're giving it. So here's what I want you to do. If you're, if you're a Jewish citizen and you're carrying the pack of a Roman soldier and you're counting to 1943, here's what I want you to do. 1942, 1943, 1944, 45, 46, and you're just going to keep on going. At some point, the Roman soldier, he knows, he expects you to throw down the pack, mumble under your breath, and walk home. But you get to about count number 3,000, he knows you didn't lose count. And he starts to recognize there's something different about you. A Christian who doesn't just do what he has to do, but goes above and beyond to do more than is asked. Because you're serving, you're not serving, you're serving him because you're a servant of God. And suddenly that moment goes from you being angry, doing something under compulsion, where you mumble under your breath and you're angry at this Roman soldier. And suddenly you start to see that person as a brother, as a friend, and you start to talk to them as a peer because you're carrying their pack willingly, not under obligation. And suddenly you just bridged a gap and now you begin to build a relationship because the second mile is your gift, not your obligation. The second mile is your opportunity to show and share the love of Jesus. The second mile, they can't make you give it. You're offering it and now you have the right to a conversation. You have the right to demonstrate extravagant love and extravagant love changes neighborhoods and cities and a nation. Listen to me. Could you imagine Imagine just us, just you and me, just those of us joining online. Lifehouse has an opportunity to influence thousands of people each weekend. So imagine the thousands of us spread out across a few different cities across our nation and some other cities across the planet. Imagine just a group of us started exercising strength under control, gentle restraint, where we love when we otherwise were under obligation, where we, we started responding to insult with vulnerability, to disputes with gentle strength, and to demands with service. Could you imagine our neighborhoods would change? Our city streets, instead of swelling with anger and hurt and hate and violence, we would begin to be the healing and the hope that our cities most need. You are the response of God. We are for our cities because Jesus is for our cities. He is for you and he loves you. And so I want to invite you to respond right now. I want to invite you to respond. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to meet you right now. Jesus, thank you that you exercised gentle restraint with us. You could have crushed us like bugs because we had turned our back on you. You could have made us pay for our sin, but you paid for it. You restrained judgment and you gave grace. You offered love and compassion, and now you give us your spirits that we can live out 
meekness, one of the most powerful qualities and characteristics that we could ever embody. God, you've not made us weak. You've called us to be meek. And you've said, blessed, favored by God are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We will have power and strength over nations. So Lord, would you bring healing to our cities through our meekness? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.